0: Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Four words. Say four. Number 1. Grace. Number 2. Grace. Number 3. Grace. And number four, could you guess what number four is? Grace. Four words, the word grace. So four words, and here's three verses. I want to look at John chapter one, the gospel of John chapter one. And we're going to look at verse 14. We'll look at three verses here, starting with 14. And the word became flesh. It's talking about Jesus. This is awesome. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. Glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for of his fullness, some translations say from his abundance, we have all received and grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, I want to talk about this idea of grace today. How many would say that grace is an amazing, amazing thing? And so we see four occasions of the word grace in three verses here. Now, something that's really interesting, I, I didn't even realize this until I started studying this out. This word grace, that's translated the word in the English grace, is only translated four times in the gospel. Four times. And what's even more interesting is Matthew, Mark and Luke don't even contain the word "grace," from the original translation. There's no translation that shows grace. Now the word "favor'" in there, and we know that's part of it, but the actual word "grace" is not in Matthew, Mark or Luke. In fact, it's only in John four times, and it's in this prologue to his memoir when he's talking about Jesus. Now, this is amazing to me. Think about this: Who is contained in the Gospels? Jesus, Jesus never even said the word grace. Think about this. But here's the thing. Jesus was the very embodiment of grace. Think about everything he did. He came to show us the heart of the father. And as he came through this earth, if someone was sick, he healed them. Whether it was physically, if someone emotionally needed a mind change and reset, he would give them a mind change and a reset. They would see things differently, wouldn't they? He was the embodiment of grace. I like what one pastor says. He said, "Jesus was the grace of God in sandals. The grace of God in sandals. just the perfect picture. Of grace, whether he was healing the leper, raising the dead, feeding the 5,000, always the embodiment of grace, gracious to everyone around him. He hung out with the people that everyone else would shun and he showed them grace. Think about the parables. How many love reading the parables? I love reading them, but man, for the longest time, I'm like, this is a cool story, but what are you saying? You know, the parables were full of grace. The parables were a place where Jesus would take stories and he would show us the kingdom of God. He would show us the kingdom of heaven, which operates through grace and through love and through peace. This is what he would show. I love the parables. But the parables aren't just stories or lessons with the moral. I used to think that, oh, this is a great, what moral can I learn from this story? I believe that that Jesus was was putting together these brilliantly crafted stories that are designed to to disorient us. Jesus, you're throwing me off balance here. This doesn't make sense. It wasn't about morals. It it was about giving us this, this paradigm shift, this mind change, looking at things differently. And he always would show us Glimpses of the kingdom which operates in and through grace. It's absolutely amazing. It makes me think of one of my favorite movies, The Matrix. How many have seen The Matrix? Man, someone told me that they might be doing a reboot of it or redoing it. I don't know if I like that or not because, come on, it's a classic. Morpheus, Neo, I mean, they can redo it, but who can replace Morpheus, right? Who can replace Neo? But there's one point in the film where Neo, Mr. Anderson, right, known in the Matrix, where, where Neo was sitting with Morpheus. He had just been shown this whole different parallel universe he never knew existed, And there's this famous scene where he's sitting across from Morpheus. And Morpheus says, he offers him two pills. He says, you take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. But then he says this. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I'll show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. When I read a parable, here's what I picture. I picture Jesus saying, would you like to take the red pill? I'm showing you glimpses of the kingdom, but if you take the red pill, I will detach you from that kingdom of the world, and I will show you how deep the kingdom of God goes. And it's this beautiful kingdom of love and grace. Imagine if we would grab a hold of this, if we would all decide, I'm taking the red pill, I will believe what Jesus says about the kingdom. And this is what he does in the parables. See, Jesus wants to disorient us from the matrix of assumptions of how the world is and must be. Because, you know, depending on where you grow up, how you grow up, we have these different values that are instilled in us, these different ways of thinking. And so sometimes they become so deep in us that even when Jesus presents the kingdom of God to us, the kingdom of heaven, how how it functions, you know, through these parables, he's trying to coax us into the parallel universe of the kingdom so we can see with the eyes of our spirit and go, wow, this is what life is all about. But it's really hard to see at times. Because we have such deep-seated ideas, habits, thought processes. Romans 12.2 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Jesus is always trying to change, shift our minds to see like he sees. And it's beautiful. Will we take that red pill? Probably one of my favorite parables is the parable of the prodigal son. How many are familiar with that? It's just a beautiful story. And, And again... The parables are just so full of curious grace. I mean, it's just, it's slathered, it's lathered, it's immersed in grace. It's so different. Like I said, it completely disorients us. It throws us off balance because it doesn't make sense with what we think we know and how things should go. How many would agree with that? But after the parable of the lost son or the prodigal son, there's a parable that I want to look at today called the parable of the crooked manager. Say crooked manager. Why would Jesus talk about this? Look in Luke chapter 16, and I want to read through this story just to get a sense of of where Jesus is going here. In Luke chapter 16, and we're going to start with verse 1. Then Jesus said to his disciples, A rich man had a business manager. The manager was accused of wasting the rich man's property. So the rich man called for his manager and said to him, What's this I hear about you? Let me examine your books. It's obvious that you can't manage my property any longer. The manager thought, what should I do? My master is taking my job away from me. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm too ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that people will welcome me into their homes when I've lost my job. So here's his plan. So the manager called for each one of his master's debtors. He said to the first, how much do you owe your master? The debtor replied, 800 gallons of olive oil. That's a lot of olive oil. He says, take my master's ledger, quick, sit down and write 400. He cuts it in half. This is crazy. Then he asked another debtor, how much do you owe? The debtor replied, 1,000 bushels of wheat. The manager told him, take the ledger and write 800. Verse 8, the master praised the dishonest manager, For being so clever. What? Now, do you feel a little disoriented? Why are you praising the dishonest or the crooked manager? Jesus, what are you trying to say? Now, let's kind of retell this. Let's look at this in a modern day fashion. Let's just imagine that uh, there's a landlord or an owner who has a lot of real estate he has so much real estate that he can't really keep track of it himself so he opens this real estate management or property management company and he hires a guy as a manager to run the books and to look over stuff for him now someone comes to the landlord one day and they say hey uh I think you need to check up on the manager because uh, I I think something's going on. I don't know if he's cooking the books. I don't know what's going on with his bookkeeping, but something doesn't seem right. It doesn't say for sure, but let's just imagine that maybe he was using finances that weren't his for his own gain. Maybe he was, we call it embezzlement. He was taking some money. So the landlord calls him before him and he says, hey, uh, what's this I hear? I need to see the books because things don't seem right. And I don't know what's going on, but I want to see the books. What's interesting, he didn't jail him right away. He gave him a chance to bring the books and prove whether he was innocent or not. So here's the manager, freaking out. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to be homeless. How am I going to pay my bills? What do I do? And then he came up with this brilliant plan. It's, It's more brilliant than you even probably could imagine. He thought, with this plan if I can ingratiate myself to the renters, then even if I lose my job, I still have a place to sleep. I'll have a roof over my head. So he calls one of the debtors in. He says, hey, listen, um, you pay what? Like a thousand dollars a month for rent, right? And he's like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I pay thousand dollars. He goes, well, the, the landlord and I were talking and we thought, what if we were to cut that in half? Well, how about $500? What, what would you think about that? Well, his response was like, that is, yeah, that's great. Seriously? He's like, seriously, yeah, let's, let's do that. He calls another one and he says, you know, you owe a lot to the landlord right now. Um, you're kind of in debt to him. You owe him $2,000. But, you know, the landlord and I were talking and we thought, wouldn't it be kind of cool if we just reduced that to $800 and then you're caught up on your rent and you could start fresh and clean? What do you think his response was? man, that would be, that'd be awesome. Are you serious? So I don't owe the two grand. Like I only owe 800 now. Absolutely. We'll start out fresh and clean 800. That's what you pay a month. That's what we'll do. He's like, no way. This is so awesome. Now this is one of those stories that doesn't quite make sense to me. Why would the manager do this? Why would he say that I've talked to the landlord? We want to reduce what you owe to us. Now, what happens next is the landlord gets word of what the manager's doing. And the landlord's like, okay, wait a minute. This guy has went to the people, and he's reduced the rent, and he's talked to them and said that we've talked this through. Hmm. See, what was happening is, is the manager was preaching the good news of the grace of the landlord. And the landlord had one of two ways he could go. Number one, he could go to the people and say, this is a fraud, it's a farce, it's not true. The people's hearts would probably be like, what? Because I'm sure they were throwing parties. Like, I got some extra money. I mean, let's throw a party. Let's enjoy this extra money. I didn't think that, that I had at first, but now I do. But imagine their amazement, their wonder, their, their anger, their frustration now that it's not true. Or number two, the landlord could go along with a dishonest manager's scheme. He could be the gracious landlord, the landlord full of grace. He could actually believe the gospel or the good news that the manager was preaching about the grace of himself. What is Jesus saying to us here? Because it says, the master praised the dishonest manager or the crooked manager for being so clever. I think there's a big point to this. God will be to us who we preach him to the other. Think about that. God will be to us who we preach him to be to the other. Who's the other? The down and outer. We call him the sinner, the lost person. What kind of gospel do we preach? What kind of good news do we preach to the other? Because God will be to us who we preach him to be to the other. So here's the question. Here's the real question. What is God like? I posted on Facebook this morning, and and I said, you know, you could ask a thousand people and you get a thousand different answers. See, there's only one person, though, that I really need the answer from, and that's Jesus. See, I can take any point in Scripture and show you what God is like according to my perspective. I mean, I can can pull Scriptures, I can cobble them together, and I can give you any God that is in my perspective. Is he the angry God who's looking for any reason to throw sinners into a fiery hell of torment? Is he an unhappy God who can barely stand the sight of humanity? Have you heard of this God before? I have. Or... Is he a loving God who desires relationship with all of humanity? A God who desires to be the father of all of his creation? See, we can go to the scriptures and again, we can show whatever God, according to our perspective, whatever God we see, we can show in the scriptures. Like I said earlier, God will be to us who we preach him to the other. Do we have a God created in our own image? What do we imagine him to be? If you're an angry person, most likely you preach an angry God. If you're an ashamed person, you'll preach a condemning God. If you're an anxious person, you'll preach a terrifying God. But think about this, and this is the truth. Gracious people preach a gracious God. Happy people preach a happy God. Loving people preach a loving God. Now, again, we ask the question, what is God like? And any one of us can have a different answer in here, but I think there's one source we need to look to, and that's Jesus Christ. What was Jesus showing us here? You know, Jesus said something really interesting. He said to love others as I have loved you. It's the very foundation of Christianity everything should stem and flow out of love. If not, we start holding crazy signs. We start pointing fingers at people. We start treating people differently. We start saying it's us and it's them, and it's not the way the kingdom should be. It's not. And we get, we get scared, because this can disorient us. We go, well, well, I understand what you're saying, but if we're not careful, I hear this all the time, if we're not careful, if you preach the good news too good, People gonna get crazy. Hmm. I think they're gonna fall crazy in love. I'm speaking from experience. I grew up thinking that God was so many different things. He was angry. He was mad. He can stay me today, but he can't tomorrow depending on my performance, depending on my dedication. You know, all the things that we say, go to church, read your Bible, pray, fast, those are all great things to do. But if we're performing them for God, you'll just lose fuel, you'll just get burnt out. But if it's coming from the love of God, it changes everything. And, And from my own experience, I was telling a brother the other day, I, I hit him up on IM and said, hey, man, we really want to have you come in and, and teach. How many remember Keith Hershey? Awesome brother. I've reconnected with him, and he's going to be here next year. So we're looking at dates. But we were talking about it, and, and it's, it's crazy how when we shift our focus to really the focus of Jesus, and we're going to look at that in just a minute, the focus of Jesus, him presenting who the Father really is, all of a sudden you fall in love with him over and over And over and over again. How many remember that song? I love that song. Man, we need to bring that one back. Because I'm experiencing that in my like real life here and now. Every day I get that feeling. I could only explain it like, remember when you started dating that person maybe you're married to now, and that feeling of like they'd call and you'd hear their voice, and you and you know, yeah, you know Bianca. And 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 you just knew they were coming over, you were going out with them, and it, it was that that burning feeling. It wasn't heartburn. Right? It was that, oh my gosh, I I love this person. Do you know that you can feel that way about God? Do you know that God feels that way about you? I mean, that will disorient you right there. Wait a minute. You mean every time I say, hey, dad, he's like, oh, man, my son or daughter. They're talking to me. This is so cool. I love him so much. Yeah, that's God. That's who he is. That's the proper picture of who God is. And when you realize that he's loving like that, I'm telling you, the last thing you're looking for is going to do some serious sinning. We get so caught up in this sin thing. Listen, I am not a sin management company. I'm not going to manage your sin for you. One guy calls it whack-a-mole preaching. What's going on in the congregation? Let's hit that one this week and that one next week. It doesn't help. What if I preach to you, the Father loves you. Good day, bad day, it doesn't matter. Maybe you get a little crazy for a minute, but eventually you're like, wait a second, this is just too good to be true. God, you love me that much. I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to somehow gain more love from you, garner more love from you by what I do. It changes everything. It's called disorienting. It's called a paradigm shift. And so Jesus is doing that here in this parable, just like he does in every parable. This is what he was showing us. Now think about this. This wasn't a a, a good story with the moral. If this was a good story with the moral, Jesus would be praising this man for his deceitful scheming ways. Does that make sense? See, he never said that he was a good man. He never said that he had done the right thing. He said he was smart. Why was he smart? He was smart by preaching the good news of a gracious owner or landlord, and then he in turn received grace himself. See, I think that the manager had a good idea that the landlord was gracious. He knew what he was was doing. That's, That's why this was a brilliant plan. So, what is God like? Let's look back at John, chapter 1. John starts out in the beginning. Now stop right there for a minute. I read this the other day, and I'm like, in the beginning. And then it, something clicked, and I went, wait a minute. The Jews reading this at the time must have been like, whoa, 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 John. John, John. This is pretty bold, man. You know, they had another book called Genesis, and it started out in the beginning. This is John's memoir. This is his story in his account of Jesus Christ, and he starts it out within the beginning. This is beautiful, was the word. You know, when Jesus died, was buried, and resurrected, he reconciled the world. He made a brand new way of living. It says that he reconciled all of the world, all of creation back to him. He started over square one. Sons and daughters of God, some running around like orphans who don't realize it yet, but he changed everything. Disorienting. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, for his fullness, or from his abundance, we have all received, say all this is beautiful jesus didn't just do it for one people or one person he did it for us all and grace upon grace verse 17 for the law or the torah was given through moses grace and truth were realized through jesus christ now just go down to 18 no one has seen god at any time now stop there for a second John, why would you say that? No one has seen God at any time. The Jews reading this would probably read this portion of of what he had written and said, whoa, 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 John, okay, man, okay, we let you get away with the in the beginning thing, but now you're you're really overstepping here. No one has ever seen God at any time. What are you talking about? And they will go through their memory of all the stories they knew. I mean, Abraham... Abraham saw God. He ate a meal with God under the oaks of memory. What about Jacob? Remember he saw God at the top of that ladder? Moses saw him so much that, that his face was glowing. And never mind the 70 elders. They saw God too. It says that they ate and drank with God on Mount Sinai. What about Isaiah? He said he saw God in the temple. The prophet Ezekiel saw visions of God by the river t So John, what are you saying? You know what his response would be? No, no, no. They didn't see God. John, what are you talking about? His answer would be this. No one has ever seen God, but the unique one. One who is God himself. Talking about Jesus, and I love this, who is near to the Father's heart. Jesus understood the father. He understood the father's heart towards people. And John says, Jesus has revealed God to us. One version says he's explained God to us who God really is. Sure. I understand that they saw God, but they saw glimpses of God. They saw portions of God. They didn't see all of God, but Jesus came and revealed God to us. And if you look at the life of Jesus, it's a radical difference than how some of those Old Testament heroes would have portrayed God. I'm not saying they were wrong. They just knew what they knew. They expressed what they knew. But Jesus, who came from the very heart of the Father, was saying, this is who the Father is. He's not afraid of sin. He hangs out with sinners. He's the change for their lives. He's not afraid of the leper or the sick because guess what? When the leper or the sick person touched Jesus, he didn't get the sickness, they were healed. This is the Father's heart. And this is what Jesus came to show us. So me, Pastor Andy, let me be totally candid with you. I'll be completely honest and transparent. I prefer to preach the God that Jesus revealed to us. Jesus is perfect theology. If we look through the lens of Jesus, I believe we'll get it right every time. A God of grace and love. As a co-suffering and self-giving love. This is what we see in Jesus. A father who has brought all of creation into favor with him. Who desires to have relationship with anyone who would simply believe. Believe. A father who, who flows in wave after wave after wave after wave of grace. This is who God really is. And I, I choose to say, Jesus, I believe you. Are you following me so far? Why does this matter? Well, it matters because we are going to have the God that we preach to others. Let me give you an example, because someone could just right here go, well, 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 wait a minute. You're saying Jesus was all loving and kind and gracious and kumbaya, my Lord, kumbaya. But I remember some points in the, in the Gospels where Jesus was a little frustrated. Uh, he even became angry, right? And then you'll bring up the Pharisees. You'll bring up the religious leaders. You'll bring up the, the, the temple establishment. And you'll say Jesus was pretty rough on them. And I'd have to agree with you. He was pretty rough on them. You know what? They got the God that they preached to others. Now hear me out here for a second. I'm not saying that God waits to see how you present him and then goes, okay, that's what you want. That's what you're going to get. I'm not saying that at all. We can almost flip it around. Who we think God is, is who we're going to preach him to be. I said it earlier. If you're an angry person, you're going to preach an angry God. Come on, just turn on the TV, man. We got people holding up signs, you know, God hates fags. Really? I thought God loved everybody. Where's the God hates obese people? God hates gluttons. God hates liars. God hates gossipers. We're not going to do that. Let's let's rag on on the fags. What a horrible name to call somebody. Sons and daughters of God, show a little respect. Show love. It's not up to you to change somebody's heart. Present the good news of a father who loves them. See, we want people to change and be like us. How about you let them have a relationship with God? Well, yes. oh, pastor, you're saying you don't, oh, so you support, I support any and everybody and love everybody. Mm-hmm. Come on. When I see how good God is with me, Man, there's, I don't care if it's culture, color, language, nation, it doesn't matter. If we can get the eyes and the heart of the Father for people and actually show love and grace and bring peace to situations, do you think maybe, just maybe, people will go, maybe there's something to this Christianity. Maybe it's different than world religion, Should I just condone everything? No, go with your own convictions. But stop pointing your finger at others. Love others and let God love them out of whatever He wants to love them out of. That's not your, your call in life to point fingers at people. Do you feel my heart? See, preach the God of this harsh and unforgiving, and that's the God you're going to get. More clearly, that's who God is. To you, So who is God to you? What, what God do you present to people? What God do you preach to people? See, God will be to us who we preach him to the other. I want us to really see this today. We've got to use the lens of Jesus whenever we look to who the Father really is. And I really believe that, that we need to start operating in love. Loving people where they are. You know, something that took a lot of pressure off me is when I realized that I'm not the one who saves somebody. It's the Holy Spirit that saves. Amen? I'm included in the good news. I'm included in the gospel. But why don't we present it as good news? That's what gospel means. The original means almost too good to be true news. It disorients us when we hear it. It can't be that good. It just can't be that good. But Jesus said it was. Jesus showed that it was. See, when we get this, what happens is we start to see the way we walk in life change. Now, we're not perfect overnight. We still have issues. But the way that we treat people and respond to people and even see people, man, I'll tell you, Have something to your heart. I started realizing that it was almost a habit to look a certain way at certain people. Being honest with you. You'd be out in public. You see somebody, they look different. they don't have the nicest clothes, maybe they have an issue with eating too much, whatever it may be and and I would find myself judging them in my head I wouldn't say it out loud but it was like, God was showing me something, he's like, see, we all have something in our heart, it's it's like some things are so deep seated, we see it and we go, oh yeah, wait wait, wait it's like the Holy Spirit shows us, wait, wait nobody's any better than anyone else And so you start to see people differently. And that's how I can say that you can actually love your enemies. Jesus wouldn't say it if it wasn't possible. Pray for those who despitefully use you. Are you serious, Jesus? Years ago, I'd say, how is this possible? And you know, it's easy just to dismiss certain portions and go, yeah, yeah, I, I read that, I read that. But to live it, it seems impossible. But Christianity is impossible to live without Jesus. When will we get to that point? I'm talking to myself I mean God's really worked on my heart a lot I mean you know I used to laugh at certain jokes Or think certain things were funny uh, You know YouTube's got all kinds of, It's even it's hard for me to even watch fail videos anymore And those used to be so funny Oh what an idiot He just he just rolled over on his four-wheeler I saw myself in that picture of course And you laugh but it's even hard to laugh Because I'm like I hope they're okay Pastor, what's happening to you? It's the love of God. It just changes you from the inside out. That's what Christianity is about. God will be to us who we preach him to be to the other. Will you pray with me? With your eyes closed, I want to just read something to you before we pray. Pastor... Brian Zond, I think he sums this up so perfectly when he says this. Listen to these words. God is like Jesus. God has always been like Jesus. There's never been a time that God was not like Jesus. But we haven't always known this, but now we do. Heavenly Father, We thank you for your love. We thank you for your grace and your goodness. Father, I don't want anyone to be confused here today, especially if it's their first time. And I don't want it to come across like sin doesn't matter. Sin matters because the reason you hate sin is because of what it does to us. When we go against the grain of love, we end up with the shards of wrath in our life. And it's not you... Doing it, it's the consequences of bad decisions. But Father, I know, even in my own life, the more that I see your love and your grace towards me, it changes who I am. It changes what I do, it changes what I give into, it changes how I respond to others. I pray today that we would have that heart in us. A heart of unconditional love for others because that's your heart, Father. You're our daddy. We're just like you. We're lovers of people. If you're here today and you would say, you know, I'm I'm hearing this, but I've never really made a decision like I've never really believed that Jesus came, lived a sinless life, was a sacrifice on the cross, and rose again. But I believe that this morning, that he did that for me so I could have new life. If, if that's you here this morning, just simply raise your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus. I believe when we raise our hand, it's just a, an outward expression of an inward happening, saying, yes, Jesus, I see now that you've brought the whole world in the favor with you. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. And I say, yes, I will no longer live as an orphan in this life. If that's you, just quickly raise your hand. I see the hand. I thank you, Father, for that hand and for all those here today who have already made that decision to believe what you've already done. It's a finished work. And I thank you that if there's people here today who are still kind of kicking the tires on this this idea of salvation, that they would come back, they would hear more of your goodness, your grace, and your love, and they'd say, wow, this is different than I've ever heard before. I never knew that God was as good as this. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everyone said.